Learn to love Google Analytics with Andrew Cox Starkey from Optimizee. Brought to you by Majestic, I'm David Bain and this is SEO in 2022. Andrew, what's your number one SEO tip for 2022? Hi, David. Um, well, as you said, it's learning to love Google Analytics, right? Um, I feel that when I work in SEO and I work with lots of client websites, everybody has Google Analytics installed. But the number of people I come across it that still have it just installed like out of the box and they haven't used any of the advanced stuff that it can do. They don't realize what a powerful tool it is and how many great insights and useful bits of information it can give them if they just do a few things to change the out of the box settings. And for audio listeners only, Andrew made a nice heart shape in front of the screen <laughs> while we're uh, describing Google Analytics there. Um, Andrew, I did GAIQ a few years ago. Um, I used to use Get Google Analytics quite a bit, not quite so much recently. What's changed about Google Analytics over the last couple of years that an SEO really needs to be aware of? So I think one of the things that's changed a lot is um, Google Tag Manager has come in and people are doing much more exciting and interesting things with that. And of course, because it's all built by Google, Google Analytics plays really nicely with Tag Manager and you can do all sorts of cool things off the back of that. That's what I'm spending a lot of my time doing now um, with clients. But I think in terms of um, things that have changed, I mean, Google always changes the UR, right? Just as you get used to where everything is, all the menus change and they move things around and change the names of things. Um, but I think there's things in there that uh, are really powerful tools using things like segments um, in analytics to look at particular um, slices of your data. Um, I feel like, um, yeah, there's a lot of th things in there that maybe haven't particularly changed or have always been there or have certainly been there for a while, but that just a number of clients I come across that don't know about it or don't use it. And in terms of getting Google Analytics set up, you mentioned that a lot of people just take the code, um, add it to their website, and that's it. Um, what are a few steps that um, someone needs to do to ensure that um, all the data that um, is most useful um, is actually appearing in Google Analytics? So one of the first things I do with clients and suggest that they get sorted out is having three separate views at least set up. So you have these different views and you have the one that comes out of the box, the all website data. Um, but you want to have sort of three separate ones. That one is great. You just leave that one alone and that's your kind of catch all. Um, and you want to have a reporting view where you have all these lovely filters and all these things you've worked out. But before you get to that one, you need to have a sandbox, like a test view set up where you can mess with things and all those blog posts where you read where you know somebody suggests this great filter to set up or this great custom rewrite you can use. You want to do that in your sandbox because every now and then, if you're like me, you mess things up and you don't quite follow the blog post to, to the exact example and you break your data. And the only thing with analytics is once you've broken it and you've put that filter in place and the data has been screened out before it's got into your reporting, then it's gone. You can go back and you can fix the filter later, but it's too late. That day's worth of data is already gone. So mess with things in your sandbox when they work the way you think they're going to work and they rewrite your data in a lovely way and they make things clean and lovely, then you can move them over into your reporting view. Um, yeah, the other, other fun one that I always do with clients is um, setting up filters. So um, they often don't have a filter to screen themselves out. So just like an IP-based filter to screen out, you know, all the kind of editors they've got sitting there tapping away and reading all their content. Of course, people that work on your website look at your website a lot because they check their things. And, oh, how does it look like when I published it live? And did I spell that name right? And they visit their web, but they're not your customers. They're not going to buy anything usually. So you want to screen those people out. So that's always a fun one when I start with clients and uh, say, oh, you, know, you need to get your analytics set up properly. Let's put in a filter to screen out your office. And their traffic goes down massively. And it's like, well, what did you do? And it's like, well didn't do anything like these people weren't your customers anyway yes your traffic's gone down by 
10, 20, 15% or whatever it is, but your conversions have gone through the roof comparatively because those people weren't your customers anyway, so you shouldn't have been looking at them. Okay. Okay. And obviously there are many different places for an SEO, someone else actually to view that data. Um, Inside Google Analytics, you can export it, I guess, um, um, in an automated basis. Where are the best places to view that data? Is it more efficient to view it outside of Google Analytics? I think it can be quite overwhelming. So it depends on who the people are looking at the data, I think. So I use Google Data Studio quite a lot. It's one of the kind of visualization tools. Again, it's built by Google. It plays really nicely with other Google things. Um, But people use like Power BI and all these kind of things to, you know, visualize their data and make it look pretty. Um, I think analytics, yeah, say for somebody in the C-suite who isn't familiar with Google Analytics, all the menus, all the naming conventions, you know, the difference between users and hits and sessions and new, it gets really confusing. So if you can export that kind of stuff into something like Data Studio, make it look pretty, give it naming conventions that your C-suite might understand. Um, That kind of stuff can really help. Okay, great. And can this be automated? Is it easy enough just to um, automatically um, funnel all the data from Google Analytics into Data Studio, for example? Yeah, so say because Data Studio is built by Google and it plays really nicely with analytics, then once you've hooked that data up and said, here's the data source, it updates automatically. So yeah, that kind of you know, automating those dashboards that marketers, you know, many years ago and still some do quite to this day, spend a lot of time rebuilding the same reports over and over and over again. And it's like, you don't need to do that. If you just point your data into something like Data Studio or Power BI or any of the other kind of visualization tools, it does it, it will pull it. Anything basically with an API, you know, if you've got Salesforce, like, you know, I think I was checking the other day, Data Studio has something like 800 different connectors. So yes, it plays really nicely with analytics and search console and YouTube and all the other Google things, but it connects to Salesforce, it connects to MailChimp, it connects to Dotmail or all these other kind of things where you can pull in all your information and have it nicely visualized in that dashboard and you connect it once and it works. And that, then you have that kind of automated data it updates every 24 hours or 48 hours, whatever you've kind of set it to. And you don't keep having to build those same reports. You can actually spend your time analyzing rather than just gathering data. So can we get to a stage where it's only necessary to go into Data Studio or wherever you're viewing the data, or is it still necessary to go into Google Analytics every so often? I think you probably still need analytics in the background and certainly having somebody who understands those sources of data, particularly when you're then you know doing things like uh, changing, you know, people don't um, tend to understand, say, that kind of difference between visitors and visits and users and sessions and all those kind of things. But you know, somebody needs to understand that kind of source of data and what the difference is in the background. And if you start relabeling those as like, oh, we had this many people, it's like, you know, a user is not necessarily a person because if I'm browsing your website on my phone or I'm browsing my website on my laptop and then I browse it on my partner's phone, that's three different users because they're all different devices, but it was still not really three people. So, you know, analytics still doesn't quite got down to that kind of level yet. I mean, there's, again, there's stuff you can set up if you want to kind of unify those sessions, but that's probably a whole talk for another different time. But uh, yeah, I think you probably still need analytics in the background and somebody who understands what all those numbers mean. Okay. And user experience is becoming an ever more increasing important element of SEO. Um, What are um, a few metrics that um, an SEO really needs to be keeping an eye on within Google Analytics in relation to user experience? And um, what kind of data um, are they going to actually extract and and utilize from there um, in order to improve the user performance on the website? 
So that's one of the cool things that you can do. So Google Tag Manager's now built it as a kind of integrated thing that you can take um, from the setup in Tag Manager um, to start get, picking up things like um, scroll depth and putting that into analytics. So, you know, when somebody visits your page, how far down the page do they scroll? Um, and you need to kind of couple those things with other bits of information or those kind of like, you know, marketing term is a micro conversion. So fine, they didn't actually pay for things and buy stuff, but were they closer to buying stuff than, the, than other users? You know, did they subscribe to a newsletter? Did they download your PDF? Did they watch your video? How much of your video did they watch? Did they pause the video and go back and listen to other kind of bits of it as well? Um, those kind of things suggest the deeper level of engagement than just a page visit. Um, and Tag Manager can report all those things and push all those bits of data into analytics and give you that kind of information. Um, I say it's, and that's where you kind of need that person that understands what the data is telling you because 100% scroll depth, they scrolled 100% wet down the wet down the page does not mean they read it all. You know, we've all done that where you go to a page and you think, oh, I just want to, you know, read the conclusions, scroll, 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 and I spin through the whole page and it's like the conclusion is, you know, don't bother going to see this movie. Great, fine. I won't, I won't bother reading the rest of the review. So you need to kind of couple those things up with, you know, did they scroll a long way and did they, you know, spend a lot of time on the page and did they download something and engage with it or those kind of things can start to give you that kind of the user experience feedback. You know, did they enjoy the page? Did they spend more time on the page? Did they click the things you were trying to get them to click? Did they engage with it in the way you were hoping they would? So do you always recommend that Google Analytics is installed using Tag Manager? That's a good question. Uh, I can't, I'm trying to think of a reason why you wouldn't do it that way. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's to do with uh, Java, it's a little bits of JavaScript and things that you put in. So I guess there might be, you know, I'm trying to think of it on the fly of like exceptions when you wouldn't, but I can't see why you wouldn't do it that way. If, if you install um, analytics through Tag Manager, then it just opens up opportunities for you to do other stuff later. You don't necessarily have to. I mean, you can just literally use Tag Manager to install the analytics code. Um, but once you've got it in, it tends to make developers quite anxious because you can do all sorts of terrible things in that uh, Tag Manager container that you probably shouldn't. Um, but once it's in there, then you can start to do some pretty interesting things with it too. And I remember using Google Analytics before not provided, and I'm sure a, a few people do as well. And um, that means that obviously um, in the last few years or so, it's become ye less useful, um, certainly from a keyword perspective, to take data from Google Analytics. But um, fr from a traditional SEO perspective, i.e. looking at um, keywords and pages and perhaps content, um, what are a few things that an SEO can still do nowadays in terms of taking data from analytics to create a strategy for their content and their keywords? So I guess one of the important things is then that you're looking at for SEO folks like us is that once you've got them to the site, so the SEO part is the, you know, they search for this keyword and you rank number one, hooray, and then they click through to your site, then you're kind of giving the answer to that, so what question. We got them through to our website, we ranked number one, but did we convert them? Did they buy the DVD? Did they download the PDF, whatever it was we wanted them to do? It's like, you know, if you're ranking number one, you know, it's that kind of the, um, I can't remember, it was the, one of the golfers that kind of, uh, to paraphrase them, but it's like rankings for show, conversions for dough. It's like if you're ranking number one and getting absolutely boatloads of traffic, but none of it's converting, then what's the point? You know, fine, if you're selling eyeballs and you're selling advertising, then maybe that is the point. You're getting their eyes on the page and you, you know, get ad clicks and those kind of things. But it's, you, know, you want to get those kind of conversions in that you would need to see from analytics data how your content's actually performing. So that's where analytics, I think, plays that key role for SEOs. You know, when you're getting those people through to that page, how is that page performing once they're there? 
that's the kind of it. And you know, which is your best performing content? Those blog posts you wrote about this topic tend to bring most of your revenue. They don't bring much traffic, but they bring maybe that's a content area you need to expand upon. Um, that kind of not provided thing in uh, keywords is frustrating, but you should be able to tie some of that stuff up. You know, that's where Data Studio can be again another bit of a boon for this kind of stuff because you can show search console data and analytics data in the same dashboard. And it's like, okay, well, when we see this page starts to perform better and the traffic goes up and the conversions go up, you know, correlation and causation, we can have another discussion about that, but you can start to then make cognitive leaps about, okay, this page is performing quite well. Let's do more of this kind of stuff. Okay. And do you tend to favor an attribution model when you're talking about um, attributing value um, from traffic to, 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 to a particular page to a client? Yeah, that's a really difficult one. I think it, so I'm trying to avoid the classic, it depends, but it kind of depends on um, the client's model. So, you know, if you're selling things like cakes and DVDs where it's a fairly impulse purchase, um, then you can start to do that kind of last click attribution. You know, maybe there's those kind of elements where, yes, of course, you know, Facebook played a role and then they knew about us on Twitter and then they saw us here and then they searched for this thing that we sell in this town that we sell it in. And then, you know, SEO gets all the credit because it was the last thing they did. Um but I think there's other parts of it, you know, where you need to consider it in terms of what your client's actually selling. So I've worked with some really big um, manufacturers of no enormous industrial machines. And they're like, you know, hundreds of thousands of, this is not an impulse purchase. You know, one of these machines, you need to have like, you know, a kind of small car park to fit it in. Um, so people are doing a lot of research before they make this kind of purchase. Um, so, and, it, and you can't buy it on the website. There's no way you're going to put your credit card details in for a purchase of this magnitude. Um, so that kind of attribution model gets a little bit more blurry. It's, it tends to be a lot more of a long tail. Like, you know, you might have found them searching for you, you know, six, nine, 12 months ago. And then eventually they build up to making this enormous, very expensive purchase, having, you know, talked to your support team, having talked to your sales team, having maybe had a rep come to their warehouse. So that kind of attribution model, I think, needs to flex depending on what the business is selling. So yeah, I wouldn't say this is the attribution model everybody should use. I liked your initial answer saying it depends on the attribution model that your client favours because you, you need to talk to them about that before providing analytics reports to them. Because if they're getting data from lots of different places, if, if they're seeing a last click model from pay-per-click advertising, for instance, um, then they need to be comparing apples with apples in order to understand the true value of, of, of organic traffic versus paid traffic, of course, as well. Did you ever have a conversation that articulates um, the the different mindset that different users have, um, depending on the stage of the, the, the buyer journey, um, that perhaps um, generic organic traffic will be um, higher in the funnel and it's worthwhile um, considering that traffic quite differently from a conversion perspective to paid traffic? Yeah, we've, I've had that conversation with clients before. And I think sometimes it depends on the maturity of the client too. Like if they're a new player in a space that they're suddenly going to go up and try and compete with, I don't know, Nike and Adidas in the shoe market, but nobody's ever heard of optimizing trainers or whatever it is that I'm making. You need to think about that in a very different way because search would probably be helping to play that function of just getting them into that consideration set. You know, if nobody's ever heard of you before, you're not going to get a high number of conversions straight away. You need to have people, you know, you need to have that kind of awareness raising stage. You know, if you're kind of pivoting a business and you're moving into a section you've never moved before, that's great. People have heard of you, but they didn't know that you sell trainers or DVDs or whatever it is that you sell. So 
And I think that kind of conversation, uh, I've had that with clients where you're talking to them about what it is, the function that they want search to play. You know, they, do they want to just show up in the search results? So people are like, oh, I didn't even know that they did that kind of thing. And so often, they, you know, they're quite happy to just appear quite high in the search results and not get all that many clicks and um, all that um, much traffic because that's just planting that seed of, oh, that's another brand to consider. And that then tends to have that kind of um, half-life effect where then later on down the line, they'll start to um, pick up those purchases when people realize that that actually, yeah, well, I'll come back to that brand. They did sell those things. Let's have a look, see if they're any good. So I'm sure your mentions of Google Tag Manager, Data Studio, 400 different um, metrics that you can take out of Google Analytics um, will have SEOs thinking, I definitely need to be a little bit more involved in my data and um, spending more time in Google Analytics, but perhaps they're very busy at the moment. So so what's one thing that SEOs may have been doing um, regularly over the last five years or so that, that, that perhaps isn't as effective as it used to be that they need to perhaps stop doing now so they can spend more time in Google Analytics? It's a cliche. And of course, you know, as a, a white hat SEO, I'm going to say this, but um, yeah, stop buying links. Like buying links is junk. Um and of course, yes, I know that well, there'll be people jumping up and down going, oh yeah, but it still works. Um, but I think that Google is, you know, turning the dial down on this. They're getting much better at understanding the context of links and the relevance of links. So yes, of course, everybody wants a link from CNN and from the Times and the Guardian and the BBC and all those kind of things. But those links are, you know, few and far between. It's those kind of everybody's, the bulk of the links come in that kind of middle ground. Um, but that kind of link from a topical, relevant um and related interest area to your industry does actually make a difference. So when you're going off and buying those, you know, 6,000 links from various comments, spams and blah, stop doing that. It's just, you know, it's, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. If you can put a little bit of portion of that time into learning to love analytics a little bit better, then I think that will be time well spent. Great stuff. I love definitive statements. Buying links is junk. Uh, <laughs> you can find uh, Andrew Coxdarkey over at Optimizee.com. Andrew, thanks so much for being part of SEO in 2022. Thanks, David. Check out the rest of the content from SEO in 2022 over at SEOin2022.com. <laughs>